Welcome to the Banner of Truth broadcast. This program is brought to you by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. Your host is Pastor Jack Schumann, pastor of the Emmanuel Free Reformed Church of Abbotsford, British Columbia. And now, here is Pastor Jack Schumann. We are continuing our series of sermons today on Paul's letter to the Philippians. And the text for the sermon today is taken from Philippians chapter 3, the verses 12 through 16. And there the apostle writes these words. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal this even to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind." So far, the reading of God's holy and inspired word. May the Lord bless the reading and the preaching of his word to our hearts today. Dear friends, what is your number one goal in life? Some people have as their goal to build a business. Others to get married and raise a family. Still others to do well at school and advance their career. And to that end, they will expend an extraordinary amount of time and effort They will stop at nothing, it seems, in order to achieve their goal. Well, the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ also has a goal. In fact, it is the greatest, most worthwhile goal imaginable. The Apostle Paul speaks of this goal in our text, Philippians 3, the verses 12 through 16. And it's to this goal that we turn our attention with the Lord's help. We'll reflect on the words of our text under the theme, The Believer's Heavenly Goal. And we'll consider, first of all, its identity, and secondly, its requirements. As I already mentioned, Paul in our text describes the ultimate goal of every true believer. Now, what is this goal? Well, Paul answers that question in verse 14, which comes at the very heart of our text passage. And there Paul writes these words, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So this prize is perfection. And Paul says as much in verse 12. There he writes, Not that I have already attained or am already perfect. And now Paul continues that thought in our text. The goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus is to be perfect. Now the word perfect here means complete. Paul's goal in life was to become complete, meaning to be completely sanctified. Or to put it another way, the Apostle Paul wanted to become more and more like Christ. Now Paul expresses that same sentiment in Romans 8, verse 29. And there the Apostle writes, For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. Well, that's the goal. The goal of the Christian life is to be conformed to the image of Christ. It is to be like 
Christ. Now, that goal is partially realized in this life already. When we come to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and to embrace him as our Lord and Savior and King and trust in him as our only hope of salvation, then the Lord Jesus sends his Holy Spirit who takes up his abode in our hearts and he sanctifies us and conforms us more and more to the image of Jesus Christ. Now that's a process. And what is more, it will never be complete in this life. We will never be completely conformed to the image of Jesus Christ. We will always remain how we were born, and that is as sinners. But one day we will achieve this. One day the believer will be completely sanctified, and that will happen in glory. The Lord Jesus Christ comes again, then our resurrected bodies will be in their glorified state, without sin or imperfection of any kind, and the people of God shall live and reign with Christ forever. Now Paul refers to this in verse 14 as a prize. The word prize here refers to the prize that the winner receives at the end of a race. In ancient times, prizes could range from money to precious metals. But the prize that Paul has in mind is far greater than that. It is to be perfect like Christ. What is more, this is a goal to which God himself calls us. Paul writes in verse 14, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Now, the word call here implies that this is not so much an invitation as it is a summons. Every believer is summoned by God to pursue this goal of Christ-likeness. What is more, Paul says, this is a call of God, meaning it comes from God to us. It is also, he says, an upward call, meaning not only that it comes from heaven rather than from earth, but it also that it leads to heaven. And finally, this call is in Christ Jesus, meaning it is extended and fulfilled only by faith in him. Only those who are in Christ can respond to this call and receive the benefits of responding to that call, as well as the grace of fulfilling that call. In fact, Paul says that the pursuit of this goal is the very purpose of our redemption. Look again at verse 12. Paul writes, I press on towards the goal that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus also laid hold of me. Now, Paul here declares that Christ laid hold on him. The Greek word here means to make one's own. Christ made Paul his own. How did he do that? Well, he did that by suffering and dying for his sins. When the Lord Jesus Christ died on the cross, he made Paul, and by extension all believers, his own. He purchased them. They are his personal possession. But to what end did he make Paul and other believers his own? Why did Christ suffer and die for Paul and for all believers? Well, it wasn't just so that they could avoid going to hell. Rather, he did so so that they, in turn, might lay hold of that for which Christ laid hold of them. And what is that? Well, it's holiness. It's Christ-likeness. Christ laid hold on us so that we might become more and more like him. 
Well, that was Paul's heavenly goal. It was to become more and more like Christ. My friend, is it also your goal today? People today pursue after many things. They pursue after riches and popularity, advancement, attractiveness, fashion, sex, the latest craze, a high from drugs. But my friend, make no mistake, none of these things will last. Nor can they meet your deepest need. What you and I need to pursue with all of our heart and all of our energy is holiness and Christ-likeness. And so I ask you today, is that also your desire? Is that your chief goal in life, to become more and more like Him? There's a strong warning here against complacency, isn't there? The Christian should never be content with where he or she is at spiritually or in his relationship to Christ. The Christian must always be striving to grow, to mature, to deepen, to become more and more like their Savior. And as soon as we think that we're good enough, as soon as we think that we don't need to pray more, read our Bibles more, struggle against sin more, and become more holy, we're on the wrong track. The true Christian strives to become more and more like Christ. That's his goal. That's his ultimate goal in life. Now maybe you ask, well, how am I to go about pursuing that goal? What are the requirements? And that brings us to our second point. Paul, in our text passage, mentions five requirements for pursuing the goal of Christ-likeness. First of all, a humble acknowledgement. The first requirement for pursuing the goal of Christ-likeness is a humble acknowledgement. Paul expresses that in verses 12 and 13. Verse 12, he says, Not that I have already attained, or we could say obtained, or am already perfected. And in verse 13, he says, I do not count myself to have apprehended, meaning to make my own. Now, we have to read these words in context, specifically in connection with verses 4 through 11. There, as we saw the last time, Paul describes his spiritual balance sheet. In verses 4 to 6, he lists all of the things he once thought were his assets. He was circumcised the eighth day. He was of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Well, then in verses 7 and 8, he tells us that when he encountered the Lord Jesus Christ, he came to the realization that everything he thought was gain was actually loss. They were not assets at all, but rather liabilities. Why is that? Well, because in Christ, he encountered a righteousness he knew he could never achieve on his own. Paul came to the realization that he needed a perfect righteousness. He needed the righteousness which only Christ can give, that can only be found in him. And so he writes in verses 7 and 8, But what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So in Christ, Paul found a righteousness that he did not possess, but which he knew he needed and therefore wanted. In comparison to that, everything else, he says, was rubbish, or as the King James has, dung or excrement. Now, following that, in verses 9 through 11, Paul lists all that he gained in Christ. These were his real assets. He gained righteousness, which is from God by faith. He gained the knowledge of Christ, 
and of the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings and conformity to Christ's death and the resurrection from the dead. Yes, Paul had gained much by being in Christ. He was spiritually rich and he knew it. But lest people think that he had arrived, he quickly admits in verse 12 that he had not. He says, not that I have already attained or am already perfected. And then again in verse 13, using different words, I do not count myself to have apprehended. Yes, Paul had come a long way, but he had not yet arrived. He was still not yet perfected. He still had a long way to go. And we see here how false the doctrine of perfectionism is. Perfectionism teaches that it's impossible, that it's possible rather, for a believer to attain such an advanced state of sanctification that he no longer sins, at least not willingly. But that is completely false. The Bible nowhere teaches that one can become perfect and sinless in this life. We will always have to struggle against sin. We will always have to do battle with our old nature. Besides, if it was possible to be perfect in this life, if anyone would have attained it, surely it would have been the Apostle Paul. But he didn't. By his own admission, he didn't. No one will ever be perfect in this life, although we should want to be and we should strive for it. The point is, this is where the believer's heavenly pursuit begins. It begins with a humble acknowledgement. It begins with acknowledging that no matter how much I have progressed, I have not yet arrived. I'm not where I should be. I still have a long way to go. Now, the second requirement for pursuing Christ-likeness is a strenuous effort. This is what is communicated in the verbs that Paul uses here in our text. One such verb is the verb to press on. He uses that verb in verse 12 and again in verse 14. The word here means to run or pursue or chase. And it's used of a sprinter in a race. In spite of the pain he experiences in his muscles and in his limbs, he presses on, he keeps on going. And Paul uses the same word in chapter 3, verse 6, when he described how he persecuted the church before his conversion to Christ. What Paul is saying is that he pursues after this goal of Christ-likeness with the same sort of intense energy and effort that he once used when persecuting the church. Now, another verb that Paul uses here is reaching, or we could say straining forward. He uses that in verse 13. Now, this is a very rare verb. It means to exert oneself to the uttermost, but often with the idea of stretching out or straining towards something. Now, it too is taken from the world of athletics, especially foot races. Paul here portrays himself as a runner who strains forward towards the goal of the finish line. The point is, we will never attain this goal without effort. If we want to become more and more like Christ, we have to work at it. Now, to be sure, God must give us the grace to do this. We cannot do anything apart from him. But we are the ones who must put sin to death in our lives. We are the ones who must pursue after holiness and Christ-likeness. God's not going to do that for us. He'll give us the grace to do it, but he won't do it for us. Well, my friend, what about you today? Are you putting forth a strenuous effort in becoming more and more like Christ? You know, many Christians today will never say that they're perfect, but neither are they striving for it. And if they are, they're not striving very hard. They're just coasting along. They're just going with the flow. 
They're not wrestling in prayer. They're not striving against sin. They're not pursuing after holiness with all of their might. It's not their ultimate priority in life. They're content to be just how they are. But friends, that cannot be. If we claim to be Christians, we must strive to become better Christians by becoming more and more like Christ. Well, the third requirement for pursuing Christ-likeness that Paul mentions in our text is a narrow focus. Every runner knows that when running a race, you need to focus on the goal. You need to focus on the finish line. And that's true also in spiritual life. And it was true for the Apostle Paul. Paul was totally focused on pursuing the goal of Christ-likeness. Look at what he says in verse 13. He says, brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal. So Paul is focused on the goal. He says, this one thing I do. The words I do are not in the original. They're supplied by the translators so that the verse makes sense in English. Literally, what Paul says is one thing. One thing. Paul is focused on only one thing, and that is being like Christ. Now that in turn involves two things. Negatively, it involves forgetting those things which are behind. A runner who looks behind him while running loses focus. And when that happens, he'll lag behind. He may even trip and fall. And so it is in the race of faith. If we want to be more like Christ, we can't focus on the past. We can't focus on what is behind us. Now, some people do that. They're always talking about the past. They're always talking about their past experiences or their past accomplishments or their past sins and their past failures and their past hurts and their past disappointments. And that can be debilitating. They never seem to get past their past. But in the race of faith, the past is irrelevant. What matters is not the past, what we did or what we experienced in the past, but rather the present. It's not what you did or experienced back then, but what you are doing and experiencing now that matters. Paul understood that, and so he resolves here to forget those things which are behind. That's the negative side. Now, positively, Paul says, being like Christ, pursuing after Christ-likeness, means to reach forward to those things which are ahead. So you forget the things that are behind and you reach forward to the things that are ahead. Now once again, Paul employs imagery from a runner in a race. A good runner knows that if he's going to win the race, he needs to focus not on what's behind him, but what's in front of him. He needs to focus on the finish line. The same is true in the race of faith. We must forget what lies behind us and look forward to what lies before us. Paul says we must reach forward. Now, as I mentioned already, the verb here means to exert oneself to the uttermost, but often with the idea of stretching out or straining towards something. So just as a runner strains every muscle to reach the finish line, so the believer strains to become more and more like Christ. My friend, does that describe you today? Someone once said, that if you want to succeed at something, you need to focus on only one thing. The same is true in spiritual life. As believers, we must be focused on only one thing, and that is to be like Christ. Now, the fourth requirement for pursuing Christ-likeness that Paul mentions in our text is divine assistance. Verse 15, 
He says, therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind, and if anything, and if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. So Paul here speaks of having a certain mind. The word mind here appears several times in this epistle. It means mindset or attitude. In this context, it means having the mind of Paul, doing what Paul does, making Christ's likeness a priority just as Paul did. And Paul wants all those who are spiritually mature, and notice he includes himself in that category, he wants all the spiritually mature ones to adopt this mindset. Now, in making that statement, Paul is acknowledging that in the congregation of Philippi, just as there is in every congregation of Jesus Christ, there are mature believers and immature believers. There are strong believers and there are weak believers. There are those who are spiritually advanced and those who are still like nursing infants. But with respect to those who are mature, Paul wants them to adopt the same mindset. He wants them to make becoming more and more like Christ their number one goal and priority in life, just as he himself was doing. Now, what about those who are not mature? Well, Paul doesn't dismiss them. He doesn't belittle them or shame them. He still regards them as his brothers and sisters in Christ. What is more, he confidently asserts that God will not leave them to themselves. He writes, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Now, God had revealed many things to the Philippians through his word and the Holy Spirit. He had revealed to them himself, his son, the way of salvation, his will for their lives. And now Paul says he's even willing to reveal even more. It's as though he's saying, if God revealed all of these things to you, he will also reveal this to you. In other words, God will not give up on you. He will help you. The work that he has begun, he will bring to completion. He will reveal to you everything you need to know to know also this. And so we're reminded here how utterly dependent we are on the Lord for everything. Without him, we can do nothing. Well, my friend, have you discovered that for yourself? Has this also humbled you before God? In order to pursue our heavenly calling, we need divine assistance, not just for the first few steps, but for every step along the way. The fifth and final requirement for pursuing Christ-likeness is a united commitment. Look at verse 16. Paul writes, Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule, let us be of the same mind. So here, Paul exhorts every believer to make becoming like Christ their goal in life. Now, why is that? Well, because it's a lot easier to strive to be like Christ when others are striving for the same goal. If we're all striving for the same goal, then we have people around us who can encourage us when we feel down, who can warn us when we go astray, and who can strengthen us when we feel weary. Now, where can we go to find such people? You need to go to the church. The church exists to help one another as we run the race of faith. The person who cuts himself off from the church or who does not attend the church faithfully and is not actively involved in the church and is not sharing his gifts and talents with other members of the church is doing himself great harm and is acting contrary to the will of God for his life. Well, this then is the believer's heavenly goal. It's becoming more and more like Christ. Now, maybe you say, well, why should I do this? Why should I make becoming like Christ my number one priority in life? If I'm saved and I'm already rich, why should I seek to become more rich? 
Why should I put in all of the effort to grow? Isn't it all that matters that I'm not going to hell and that I'm going to heaven? Well, in a sense, this is a moot point, because if you're a new creation in Jesus Christ, you will desire to grow. Just as a child desires to drink its mother's milk, so a believer desires to grow spiritually also in their relationship with Christ. But apart from that, there are some very important reasons why you should want to grow and become more and more like Jesus. First of all, becoming more and more like Christ glorifies God. And that's what a Christian is supposed to do with his life. This is what a Christian should delight to do. His delight should be to bring glory to God. And if that's not your desire, if you have no desire to glorify God, if that's not your chief goal in life, my friend, you're not a Christian. You're still in your sins. Secondly, becoming more and more like Christ increases your assurance. You see, when there's spiritual progress in your life, and when there's a deepening relationship with Christ, there's the sense that you belong to God because you can see his work and your calling and election become even more sure. Thirdly, becoming more and more like Christ guards the cause of Christ from reproach. There's no greater reproach to the cause of Christ than when professing Christians do not strive after holiness. In such cases, they only give occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme, as Nathan once said to David when he committed adultery with Bathsheba. So there are many reasons for becoming more and more like Christ. But let me ask you as I close, is this your goal? Is it your sole goal in life to become more and more like Jesus Christ? Are you striving for that? Are you daily daily asking the Lord for grace to help you in this? I said in my introduction that there are people in the world who will devote extraordinary amounts of time and energy and effort in pursuing a goal. Well, let me ask you, what goal are you pursuing? Is it to be like Christ? It's not easy. In fact, it's impossible, left to ourselves. But we have a helper in the person of the Holy Spirit, and he is given by Christ to the church, and to each individual believer to help and assist us in our Christian walk, also in this aspect. And empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can and will pursue our heavenly calling. Will you do so as well? Amen. We always appreciate hearing from our listeners. If you are blessed by or have a comment on the message you've heard today, we'd very much appreciate hearing from you. Our mailing address is Banner of Truth, 3386 Mount Lehman Road, and Lehman is spelled L-E-H-M-A-N, and that's in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. If you would like to listen to the message you've just heard again, or if you would like more information about our program, including how to contact us and how to listen to other messages on this program, please visit our website at banneroftruthradio.com. That's all one word, banneroftruthradio.com Support for this program is provided by the Free Reformed Churches of North America. For more information about our churches, including where you can find a church nearest you, please visit our denominational website at www.frcna.org That's frcna.org Your financial support for this program is welcome and deeply appreciated. If the Lord has placed in your heart a desire to help us to offset the costs of broadcasting this program on this station, you can send us a check in any amount. Again, our mailing address is 3386 
Mount Lehman Road, L-E-H-M-A-N, in Abbotsford, British Columbia, V4X2M9. Or you can visit the donation section of our webpage. Our webpage, again, is BannerOfTruthRadio.com. Please remember that the Lord would have his people come together to worship him. And for that reason, we urge you not to use this or any other radio program as a substitute for being an active, contributing member of a faithful, Bible-believing church. Thank you for listening, and now until next week, may the Lord be with you all.